Well, good morning to everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is David. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here at New Life. Um, and if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you after the service. So today I'll start with, um, yeah, just let me, you know, sh uh, show of hands. How many of you guys have the gift of gift giving? Few, not too many. It's rare, right? How many of you, again, show of hands, have the gift of gift receiving? <laughs> I think all of us, there's probably not one person in this room that if you offer them a gift, they're going to say, no, I don't want that. All of us enjoy receiving gifts from somebody, um, whether it's on our birthday, whether it's Christmas, whether it's random. Uh, we just enjoy it. I, I have a friend of mine who she has a gift of gift giving. She gets to know you, gets to know your personality really well, and come your birthday or special occasion, whatever gift she gives you, it just blows your socks off. Um, because it's always something that's perfectly tailored for your personality. Um, and I always just find that amazing. And so, <clears throat> in today's uh, sermon, we're talking about the way that Jesus also gives us gifts abundantly, gives us beyond what we could imagine. Uh, so today, uh, yeah, we're going to look at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So if you have your Bibles, uh, if you could open it up to Matthew chapter 14. And uh, we'll be starting, we'll be reading verses 13 to 21. Uh, so I'll read, and if you just follow along, it says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. <clears throat> so the story begins immediately after the passage that we talked about last week. Um, and I know that all of you were here and you were listening to Scott intently. You hung on to his every word. You listen to the sermon every day of the week, so, you know, I know you all know it well, but just in case you need to refresh your memory, what we talked about was the death of John the Baptist at the hands of King Herod. And so this, uh, this takes place right after, uh, yeah, right after that it says, now when Jesus heard this, when he heard about the death of John the Baptist, uh, he withdrew. 
in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And so we see two things that are happening. Uh, the first is Jesus is just using his wisdom to escape a politically tense situation. Um, Herod has great political power. He fears that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. And as a man who cares deeply about his reputation, uh, Herod might be willing to also arrest Jesus and put him to death. Um, so Jesus is wisely leaving uh, Herod's jurisdiction and going across the sea to lay low for a bit. The second thing that's also happening is Jesus is probably looking to also mourn the death of John the Baptist. Uh, you know, Psalm 116.15 reminds us that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so I'm sure, you know, John is dead uh, and up in heaven, and for him, it was all good to go. Um, but there was people behind to mourn him. And we know that John and Jesus were cousins. And someone that's more in tune with how genealogy works can work out the specifics. But they were cousins united by their mothers. And, you know, scripture is silent on how much they interacted or if they interacted. But it also isn't too far off to believe that as cousins, as family, they would have had some type of interaction growing up. They would have been at family functions. They would have uh, hung out, interacted, being close in age as well. And we also see that John and Jesus, uh, they knew the role that each other would play in the life of the other person. John would go out into the wilderness and re-emerge as a prophet. He'd come back as the second Elijah and begin to prepare the hearts of the people for the Messiah to come. Jesus would also go out into the wilderness and he would return to fulfill his destiny as the Messiah. And so you have two cousins that were both united in their destiny and one of them has just been killed. And so surely Jesus in his humanity would have wanted to mourn the death of his cousin. And he goes away to a desolate place. And usually in scripture, when we see Jesus going to desolate places, he's going there to uh, pray, uh, to pray to the Father. So Jesus is mourning, but he also turns to draw strength from the Father. So he gets on a boat and leaves, probably borrows it from one of his disciples. Um, and it says, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot. One way or another, they got to the other side before him. I'm not sure how people running made it faster than the boat, but they did. And so verse 14 says that when he uh, went ashore, he saw a great crowd before him. So imagine that you've had a long day at work. Your boss has been unreasonable. Your coworkers have been annoying you all day. You're just looking forward to going home to some peace and quiet. And as I say that, I say that as somebody without little kids at home. You know, I can go home and I know there's just quiet. 
But once you get there, you know, you've made the drive to your house, and once you get there, your boss is somehow there, and they're waiting for you, and they're saying, hey, uh, I need you to actually do a few more things before uh, you turn in for the night. How are you going to respond? Maybe you've been reading the book, you know, Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend, and so you have the mature, collected, calm response. You say, hey, you know, my contract, it only stipulates that I work between these and these hours, and I'm asking you to respect my work-life boundary. I promise that I will get to it first thing in the morning. That's probably most of us, right? Or maybe, you know, some of us are going to have the a less PG response, a kind of response that we're going to want to give that after we reflect on what we said, we uh, have to go uh, in prayer to God to ask for forgiveness for how we just responded to somebody. But I think most of us, you know, once we've mentally clocked out, we're just ready to shut down for the night. <clears throat> and so how easy would it have been for Jesus to just stay in the boat and go in the opposite direction. Surely he saw the crowds coming uh, before he even came ashore, and he could have been like, ah, yeah, they're all waiting for me over there. Let me uh, turn the boat back around. Or if he knew that they were going to reach the other side again for him, maybe he might have been tempted to say, you know what, I'm going to, park the boat in the middle of the sea where nobody can get to me, and that's where I'll stay. But his reply was different than what probably most of us would want to do. It says that he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus set aside his own needs in order to minister to the people. He had great compassion on them. He healed the sick, and in some other versions uh, of the Gospels that are recorded, it also says that he taught the people all the way until evening. So we see Jesus will never turn away any who come to him. He could have been selfish and walked away. He could have had his disciples form a crowd around him, like bodyguards pushing their way through the crowd. He'll completely just ignore them, ignore their needs. But instead, Jesus had compassion on the people. In front of him were image bearers who needed to hear the truth. Here were humans who were affected by the corruption of sin, who needed healing in their lives. They were a people under a false king, needing the true king to come and rule over them. They were a people who had just lost a prophet, needing the words of God spoken to them. They were a people who needed someone to intercede uh, before God for them. And so Jesus lays aside his tiredness. He lays aside his grief. He lays aside his own needs. And he begins to minister to them, to the people. So, how many times have we failed to follow in this example of Jesus? 
How many times have we been selfish with our own needs or our own time? A friend calls us talking about a broken relationship or some grief that they feel, some heaviness in their hearts. And we're listening, but we're just too tired in the moment, too exhausted. We have our own stuff to deal with. So, you know, we pretend to not see what lies under the surface, and we just offer a quick prayer for them. We don't want to get into the messy parts of the lives of others because we're too focused on our own needs. Or maybe we've been on the other side of that, where we ourselves feel a great burden. We feel a sadness in our hearts. And we want to reach out to someone, but we're too afraid of being rejected. We're too afraid that the other people, we're going to open up in vulnerability and they'll turn away from us. And so you say, well, I'll deal with this pain on my own. Why bother others? They've got their own stuff to deal with. But this is the great news about Jesus, that he's always ready and willing to enter into our messy and broken lives. He's always ready to help us carry our burdens. He intercedes for us daily. This morning, uh, the Sunday school class over at Gladstone is learning what it means that Jesus was also a human. And as I was uh, doing the lesson plan for that, it's just amazing to think you know, Jesus entered this uh, world as a human, and he went through every experience up until his death as one who was fully man. From birth to death, he trusted in the provision of the Father, and as a result, we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus knows what it's like to enjoy the goodness of this life. And he also knows what it's like to endure the sorrows of this world. He knows the goodness that comes when you have an abundance of family and friends, when you have celebrations and victories. But he also knows the sting of betrayal, of abandonment, of being rejected by others. And so Jesus is ready for all who come to him. And he will not turn away any uh, who need what he has to offer. And so we see Jesus ministering to the people until evening. And then the disciples, they come to him and they say, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So how does Jesus reply? Does Jesus say, you know what, that's a good idea. I've been ministering to them all day. I'm tired. Let them fend for themselves. That's probably the response of uh, most of us in this room, maybe, right? Where you've invited somebody to come over for coffee, to catch up on life, and uh, now it's getting late, and they're showing no signs of leaving soon. And so now it's, you know, that awkward moment where it's like, well, how do I get them out without telling them to get out? You know, you put your hands on your knees and you're like, well, it's getting kind of late. We're like, hey, 
uh, it's probably time for me to start preparing dinner. Maybe some of you are just more blunt than others, and you're like, hey, here's your coat, time for you to go. And this is where the disciples are at with all this. Um, <clears throat> they're hungry, they're tired, they've been with Jesus all day. Um, you know, they're probably ready to sleep. And so I say to Jesus, Jesus, send them away. It's late. We need food. It's a desolate place. And so Jesus says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. It's like, what? How is this possible? The disciples were 12 men. And skipping to the end, we see that those who ate, those who were present, were about 5,000, uh, not including the women and the children. So it's number anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people present. So imagine I ask everybody who's in this room right now, hey, stay afterward. Stay afterward for a meal. But you know what? Our meal is going to consist of whatever food you have brought with you. You're probably all going to go hungry, right? Uh, look around this room, and it's like, okay, maybe a few of us have some snacks that we brought. Uh, whoever has a little kid, so we can take their snacks and share them among others. But if I were to say, in this room, there is way less than 5,000 people. And if I were to say, let's try to come up with a feast, it is impossible, right? There's not enough. Most of us aren't carrying food for ourselves. So Jesus has just given the disciples a task that seems impossible. He tells them, you give them something to eat. And the disciples, they, we see, uh, they tell him, we only have five loaves and two fish. So they've probably been carrying, you know, people carried, when they travel, carry around their own food, carry around their own money. But even among the 12 disciples, having five loaves and two fish, that would not have been enough for them. You have 12 men, five loaves and two fish, that's two of the guys could probably eat that by themselves. So Jesus tells them, all right, bring what you have, the five loaves and the two fish, among thousands of people. So Jesus then orders the crowd to sit on the grass, and he looks up to heaven and he gives a blessing, blessing like, blessed are you, Lord our God, king of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. He was honoring the one who was going to provide for them. And I like this part because it makes me think about my own uh, blessing when it comes to eating, to mealtimes. How many of us, we get to dinner or lunch and we're just like starving and we probably take like three bites of food before we're like, oh, I forgot to pray. Uh, or we just kind of rush past it and it's like, thank you, Lord, for this food. And then we just dig in. But what I like about this is that in here, you know, Jesus is giving thanks to the Father and saying, thank you for providing this. And so when we also eat, we can reflect on God's goodness in our lives. You know, even for a simple prayer. You know, thank you, Father, for this food that you have blessed us with. Thank you for this community that we can often share this food with. 
Thank you for the daily provision and having enough to eat, enough to share with others. So Jesus, give, thank, give thanks. And then it says that the disciples take the food and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And so I think that normally when we're thinking through this passage, uh, we're focusing on, you know, uh, Jesus providing for our needs solely, which is true. We think Jesus provides for us and he provides abundantly. But what we're also seeing here is that Jesus is equipping his disciples for the mission that they're going to be undertaking soon. It's the disciples who bring the food that they have, and it's the disciples who are being sent out to the crowds to give the food. They're the ones doing the hard work. And so it's you know, foreshadowing the work that the disciples will do after the death of Jesus, when they too will spiritually be feeding the people, when they will carry out, continue carrying out the mission of going to the people and feeding them. And so, what was the attitude of the disciples at the beginning? They say that, you know, they want to send the people away. They felt like they didn't have enough. So Jesus, like, send them away. We barely have enough food. We'll keep it for ourselves. They can go away. I think many of us find ourselves thinking in that same way, of feeling like we don't have enough to give to others. You know, we say, man, if I only had more money, I could give more money to the church. I could donate more to charity. If I only had more time, I could devote more time to volunteering and serving and all these different areas. If only I was as eloquent a speaker as our amazing youth pastor, I could also inspire the teenagers. All that the disciples had were five loaves and two fish. Definitely nothing that could feed 5,000 men, let alone women and children. Yeah, Jesus said that was enough. And from what they had to offer, Jesus uh, supplied abundantly. Sometimes all we have is $20 at the end of the month to give. And Jesus says that's enough. And sometimes all you have is a couple of hours in which you can volunteer to help out at church. And Jesus says, that's enough. Sometimes all you have is the energy to call up one person that week and offer to pray for them. And Jesus says, that's enough. He isn't asking us to wait until we have enough resources. He didn't tell the disciples, hey, you guys go go get enough food, and then I'll send you out. No, he took what they had in the moment. And the same way he's asking us to come to him with whatever we have in our hands. I think it's easy to fall into the mentality of, you know, oh man, if we had a bigger campus, we could reach so many more people. Or if we all had a seminary education, we could do so much more here. But that's not what Jesus calls us to. We are one body with many diverse parts. You who have the gift of hospitality, how are you using it to make others feel welcomed and seen? And maybe you have the gift of teaching. 
How are you using it to help the body grow in their understanding of who God is? And so you may, uh, you may say to yourself, well, you know, I don't really have any special gifts. I'm just your average person. But aren't we all called to grow in faith, in hope, in love? As we grow in these simple things, these are resources, these are gifts that we can share with others to help them grow in faith, in hope, in love. You say maybe, well, I'm just an introverted person who loves to spend time at home alone watching Netflix. How can you use that time to yourself to think about praying for others, to think about what others may need? Or maybe, you know, you say, actually, I'm on the opposite side. I'm an extrovert, and I just want to hang out with everybody, but I can't. Well, hey, how do you use that extroversion to gather people together to fellowship with each other? Or maybe you say to yourself, well, I don't really know much about Scripture. I can't teach anyone. But you don't need a seminary education to talk to others about the goodness of God in your life. You don't need to know every single thing in the Bible to say, this is how I have seen God at work in my life, and to share that with others and encourage and edify them. All of us have different giftings, and yet the Lord uses all of it to bless the people. I remember when I was applying for the youth pastor position here, I was talking to one of my coworkers at Starbucks. I was like, you know, I'm going for it, but I don't know if I should be going for it because, you know, I don't fit that stereotypical Youth pastor mold, I don't have, I don't wear skinny jeans, I don't play the guitar, and even though I know everybody is just awed by me when they meet me, deep down I'm not that cool, and yet the Lord has been good and faithful, and uh, honestly it's been a blessing to be ministering to middle schoolers and high schoolers here, and so Jesus says, come to me. Give me what little you have, and I will still use you. It's not about how much or how little we have. It's about our faithfulness to what he has called us to do. I'm sure it would have been easy for the disciples to have seen the crowds and to whisper among themselves, like, hey, it's getting late, we're getting hungry. I don't know where they're going to eat, but maybe we should hide our food before they come for it. It would have been easy for them to do that, right? And I think most of us, maybe we've had those moments. <clears throat> you know, it's like uh, in school when you pull out the gum, and then you have the teacher saying, if you didn't bring enough for, any, for everybody, don't eat it. So you kind of hide it, or you secretly try to pull out your gum, and then the kid behind you is like, hey, can I have some? You know, most of us are trying to keep it to ourselves. But the disciples, they said, here's what we have. And Jesus use that. And so no doubt, as the disciples, they go out into the crowd, they maybe still don't know what's about to happen. They're like, okay, Jesus, bless the food, but we still only have this much. And yet they're going out in faith. And sometimes that's for us. We don't know 
what Jesus is having us do with our resources, with our time, with our giftings, and yet we go out in faith. And to their surprise, as they fed the crowds, they never ran out of food. They gave and they gave and they gave, and from those five uh, loaves and two fish, they gave until everyone had enough to eat, until they were satisfied. The Greek says, until they were gorged. And even after that, they, were, uh, they still had 12 baskets full of broken pieces left together. So no matter how little we have, as long as we are faithful, the Lord will bless it. It says the people ate and they were satisfied. Um, I thought it's just, you know, yeah, they're full. It's, you know, when you go to a buffet and you eat until you're satisfied, it's like you can barely move. It's probably where the people were at now. Like, yes, we've had such a great meal. Jesus has provided for us. Jesus has given us to eat. And so this brings us to our final point, that Jesus is the true king who provides abundantly for his people. Matthew has this narrative right after the Feast of Herod uh, that we looked at last week. And so Matthew's choosing to compare and contrast Herod and Jesus in this section. So we get the picture of the true king who provides for his people. Herod's party, if we look at it, was a party for the rich, for the famous, for the politically important. Herod was inviting people who could help him advance in his own career, people who uh, would bring him prestige, would bring him respect. And he invites him into his court, into his palace, a place that must have looked magnificent for others. Meanwhile, Jesus is offering a meal for the lowly of this world. He's offering a meal to um, those who the world doesn't think are important. And he doesn't do it in a fancy courtyard, a fancy palace. He does it in a desolate place, a place that people don't, normally go to. We see that Herod sought the pleasures and the honor of the world. He cared for nothing but his own glory. Jesus taught and ministered to the broken and needy. He brought glory to his father. Herod's party was included the object, objectification of women dancing for the gaze of men. It ended with death and destruction. It ended with Herod uh, being controlled by the crowds around him, by the people around him. Meanwhile, we see Jesus being in control of the situation from beginning to end. He invites men, women, and children to come to learn from him, to be healed by him, to be taught by him. And this meal ended with everybody being satisfied. And so this is the feast that Jesus invites us into. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites us to come to his meal, 
to the place where our hunger and thirst are satiated. And maybe you're here and you're saying, you know, I'm tired of what this world has to offer. I'm tired of seeking the affirmation of others. I'm tired of trying to do everything on my own. My soul is seeking something deeper. Jesus is here to offer that to you, to give you rest, to feed you. Or maybe you're here as a, somebody who's been following Jesus for years, and you're coming here with a heart that just feels burdened by everything. That says, man, sometimes it's just so hard to be uh, following Jesus. He requires us to give up so much. This burden feels too heavy. Jesus is here to help you carry that burden as well. Jesus invites us to follow him with whatever we have, as much or as little as we can offer. He invites us to be a part of his feast. This meal that was shared among the 5,000 foreshadowed the day when there will be a great wedding banquet in heaven. There will come a day when history comes to an end, when Jesus returns for his people, and the church and Jesus are united in a wedding feast that will last for eternity, when our hearts and souls will finally be full with the goodness of God forever and ever. So this invitation is open to all who would place their faith in Christ. That's the good news for us. This man, Jesus, who had compassion on the crowds and ministered to them, still has compassion on us today and continually ministers to us. This man who equipped the disciples to carry out the work equips us today to carry out our work. This man who invited all to come and eat of what he had to offer invites us today to eat of what he has to offer. See, Jesus would end up meeting a similar fate to that of his cousin. He would be killed by those in authority, giving in to the whims of the crowd. And yet he rose again on the third day by the power of the Spirit. And in his death and his resurrection, he gave us his body to feed upon. He gave us more than what we needed for our spiritual hunger. He invites us to follow him, to eat of what he has to offer. And he also invites us to continue the mission that he started in inviting others to this great wedding banquet. Let us pray. Father, we just give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for your son uh, who came down for us, uh, who offered his life up um, in order that we might be able to be fed abundantly, uh, in order that we might be able to be reconciled back to you. Lord, as we go out this week, uh, may we just be able to use our time and our resources well. May we be selfless with what we have, uh, and may that just be a reality that we begin to live in. Um, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.